Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I take the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course and make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a show this week. What a week of news. We are going to look at Federal Reserve Chairman Powell and his comments this week, how it moved markets, what we are to learn from it. There's also a great article by Ben Carlson, who we've highlighted before on this show, his awealthofcommonsense.com, talking about market timing and interest rates, because this is definitely coming to the fore. People are wanting to know, can we play this game of interest rates and returns? And then a great article I found instructive, Financial Times. It's not a publication we talk about a lot, probably because it's behind a paywall most of the time. But... Kathy Wood, her flagship ARC fund, it tops $300 million in fee income despite losses. Investors have remained loyal. What's going on? I want to look at a little behind the curtain on how the investment management industry works and why well, we might need to sidestep it. And then two data points by Mr. Peter Maluk, one of our favorite falls on Twitter. One is just the latest data on equity returns globally year to date. I have found surprises. I know we've highlighted the data before. I want to do it again. And then a Vanguard data point about what really contributes to investors' returns. What, what determines your returns? No surprise, it's not security selection and market timing. But what, to what degree does your portfolio move based on those things or based on asset allocation? Another great reminder for us. So at the top... A little bit of a story here. I was simply minding my own business, walking around lovely Dallas, Texas, and someone came up to me, and I believe this was Tuesday, that's when this article, and said, hey, did you hear what Powell said? Oh, we're in for it now. We're in for it now. And that was the chatter all day. I had not heard. I was actually in a meeting, and so I had not heard anything about what Chairman Powell had said. Well, it's the talk of the town. So I figured if someone's coming up to me cold on a street. I got to tell you about it. This article, CNBC, Federal Reserve Powell says interest rates are likely to be higher than previously anticipated. Uh Uh-oh. If the totality of the data were to indicate that faster tightening is warranted, we would be prepared to increase the pace of rake hikes, the central bank leader said in prepared remarks for appearances this week on Capitol Hill. Powell said the current trend shows that the Fed's inflation-fighting job is not over. So as, as you know, markets are anticipatory in nature, meaning all of the widely available information is baked into prices for both stocks and bonds. And when something happens that's unexpected, those prices are changed. Those prices are adjusted. So what has been going on is we've had stronger economic data. So the quote here says, The latest economic data have come in stronger than expected, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated, Powell said in remarks. In their December estimate, officials pegged the terminal rate at 5.1%. Current market pricing moved higher to a range of 5.5 to 5.75. So these are folks who are anticipating what the final rate would be. Powell did not specify how high he thinks rates will ultimately go. Of course not. He doesn't want to box himself in. What does this matter to you? What does this matter to me? Well, it's just good to understand what's happening. So economic data comes out, and that data may include something like 
wage growth or unemployment rate or any uh, any host of data. There's, there's that economic data. Then there's inflation-related data, the price of goods. What percentage rate are they increasing year over year, month over month, quarter over quarter? And so, if you were the Federal Reserve Chair, you would feel that your job was to dial back inflation. That's basically what Mr. Powell has communicated to us that he wants to do. And so whenever good, this is weird, but whenever good economic data comes out, he feels confident that, uh uh-oh, I need to raise rates more because that's not going to slow down inflation. Inflation is what he wants to slow down. So that's why this is kind of scary for a lot of investors. For the long-term investor, it shouldn't be. For the investor that hadn't borrowed a lot of money, it shouldn't be. However, for folks that are more short-term in nature that have borrowed money, this is terrifying. So if you can imagine, if, if you have purchased an investment with a three-year time frame and you have used debt that balloons, perhaps, in, at the end of those three years or begins to amortize or it's a floating rate after three years or any number of scenarios, this is absolutely terrifying because not only is it probable that whatever your investment was, let's say it was real estate, has dropped in value, as, as that's what happens typically when interest rates go up, but you also now have problems with your financing. So you see how we catechize here at Robert Hunt Financial, keep those costs low, that investing simple, that time horizon, what? At glass, time horizon? Yes, long. Now, what does that mean long? Is three years long? It's not. It's not. 50 years is long. 75 years is long. 25 years is long. Three years is not. And so for the folks or companies or, or anyone who has tightened their timeline considerably and relied upon debt financing for any sort of their, one of their ideas, this is deeply troubling and understandably so. So it just this, this rate hike, this language related to future rate hikes rather, puts a doubt in a lot of people's minds that, uh-oh, this ability for the Federal Reserve to contain inflation, it may not be so easy. This may take a while and rates may go very high meaning there will be a great deal of pain. Now, for my long-term investors out there, what are you to worry about in this situation? Well, I would say not a lot. Now, there are, of course, the practical realities of the economy. We, we of course, care about that. But in terms of your internal scorecard, as Warren Buffett likes to remind us, and your timeline, if you have a 30 or 40 or 50-year timeline, you, when you look back on this, you will not be able to even tell me when these comments were made 20 years from now. When you look at the markets, you won't. And so that's the attitude we need to have. So, it, But it's, it's important to know why. So why did the markets drop that day? Why were investors skittish? Why perhaps have you heard people, people coming up to you saying, oh dear, did you hear what Powell said? That's, that's what they're referencing. And it many times, not always, but many times illustrates folks who are a little more short-term in nature or have investments with fuses on them, meaning, hey, I've got a two, three, five-year fuse on it. Nothing immoral about that at all. But it does create pressure, and now those pressures come to the fore in moments like these where something very much out of your control, what, what Powell's going to do with interest rates, can affect you incredibly. So the article that marries nicely with this is this Ben Carlson, Market Time and Interest Rates, because what, of course, can be natural for an investor when you hear me read an article like that on CNBC is, uh-oh, can I simply rotate into cash here? If there's going to be this level of turmoil and uncertainty, and we don't know how high... Powell hike, this could, contagion could occur in the real estate and other markets. 
why don't I go to cash? Because the rates on cash are so good. And when I say cash, I'm including short-term debt instruments, treasury instruments. So Ben Carlson writes, I thought this was a great article. He says, short-term interest rates continue to charge higher as their economy re remains stronger than, expect than anticipated. Sound familiar, right? Chairman Powell said the same. Hey, economy's strong, therefore we can keep cranking things up. The article explains, we're looking at about 5% yields across the board for short-term government bonds, and that is true. The six-month, his data is showing, this is Tuesday as well, 5.23% for the six-month, 4.97% for the three-month, 5.18% for the 12-month, and about 5% for the two-year. So um, that's right, 5%. So he asked his YouTube audience, he's got a YouTube audience, he said, hey, if now that we have these 5% T-bills, will you change how you invest? More than half of the respondents said, yeah, that's going to change how we invest. Because if you're looking to, if you're, if you're looking at the future and you see a guaranteed, this is before inflation, of course, but a guaranteed six month return of 5.28 and you've got headline risk that Powell's going to tank the economy and uncertainty in all these various markets because of these interest rate increases. Okay, great. But what this article warns us of, and I like it, is the, he, he says it's the biggest problem with making a huge shift in your portfolio from stocks to cash is that short-term interest rates are fickle. Ding, 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 ding. They can go up quickly, but also drop in a hurry. Short-term bond yields could stay elevated for a while if the economy and inflation remains strong and the Fed battles high inflation. The article continues, but what happens when and if short-term rates go back down? If the Fed keeps raising rates eventually, that's going to slow things down. When inflation slows and the economy weakens, the Fed is going to cut rates. So th what he's warning about is, hey, these 5% 5, 5 yields may not last forever, particularly if inflation comes back to more normal levels. We don't know that. No one knows what's going to happen. And in the short run, cash does offer stability. But in the long run, and this is what I love here, take out the big chart. In the long run, what, is, what does cash get you? It gets you barely anything above inflation. That's what the big chart tells us. If we look at over the last 80, 100 years, 50 years, cash really doesn't do a whole lot for the investor. It's a fine place to keep your optionality open. It's a fine place to park short-term money. Various retirees actually can have cash as a larger portion of their portfolio. And I think that's permissible and advisable in many instances because now you're getting these higher rates. But the article says, hey, in the short run, stocks can rip your heart out. I love how just candid and that language is because that's the truth. That's what happens when people look at these short-term debt instruments. They think, oh, great. I won't have to be worried about a big drop in the market. But, and here's the, here, here's the quote of the article. Market timing requires you to be right twice. You'll be right twice. Why is that? What's the first? First time you got to get out at the right time. You got to be right there. Next, when you rotate into cash and you sit in these six month bills, uh, you got to be right again. When you get back in, if you're simply going to wait for yields to drop, you'll certainly miss the boat. The market's a little more agile than that. If investing were that easy, everyone would do it that way, but it's not. It's a silo of a bunch of participants all absorbing information and making bets on that information. So you can't get that. So what this article concludes with is what I would affirm. Uh, cash has a place in a portfolio for short-term liquidity needs and stability. Amen. Amen. 
But, and here's the final deal. Asset allocation is for patient people. It's for patient people. I'm, I'm going to skip ahead on this data point because it, it merits an essay here. This investment outcomes are largely determined by long-term mixture of assets and portfolios of Vanguard data. What percentage of a portfolio's movements over time are explained by security selection and market timing or asset allocation? Okay. This is... Um, Calculations are based on monthly returns for 709 American funds from January 1990 to September 2015. So American funds are active stock pickers. So this data is taking aim at the idea that stock picking matters. So what percentage of these portfolios movements over time are explained by security selection and market timing? That's I'm picking Apple over Google. Market timing, I'm going to get in and out of this time and that time. Or asset allocation, meaning I'm just going to own U.S. stocks, large cap stocks international stocks. 91.1% of the portfolio's movements were explained by asset allocation. Only 8.9% was explained by security selection and market timing. And yet, the whole premise behind these active funds, by and large, is that we will pick the right stocks for you. And yet what the data shows is that's really not what moves the needle. And that's what Mr. Carlson saying at the end of this market time and interest rates article. He's saying... Asset allocation is for patient people. He says, I just think it's difficult to constantly shift your asset allocation into and out of these asset classes without causing some harm to your investment plan. Amen. And why is that? It's asset allocation that matters, not market timing, not security selection. So be willing to play the long game. Be willing to play the simple game. As, as of course, you'll agree, the low-cost game. And then this article... Financial Times caught my eye because it, it was revelatory on just how this industry works. Kathy Woods, flagship Bart fund, tops $300 million in fees despite their losses. Investors have remained, have largely remained loyal to high volatile ETF, even though it has fallen nearly three quarters from its peak. So as a review, Kathy Woods' ARK Investment Management trades in high-tech disruptive stocks in her mind that she feels will multiply investors' money. And so this uh, fund had a huge run-up basically when kind of the COVID deal hit all of the stocks that she was behind. You're familiar with the Zooms of the world and Teslas of the world. They went up a ton. Well, her fund did incredibly well. So it says um, yeah, more than $3 billion flowed into ARK in the first two weeks of February 2021 when the fund was up more than 700% from its launch, from its launch, excuse me, bringing its assets to a peak of $27.9 billion. But this article says rising interest rates, blah, blah, blah. Basically, what comes up must come down is sometimes what happens. But what's interesting here is it's a, the article says it's extraordinary that investors who chased returns on the way up didn't reverse course. The vast majority of investors have stuck with Kathy Wood. Now, why is that? What is going on here? Well, I can tell you from my own personal experience, her research and her writing is incredibly engaging. I personally read it. I don't invest in her stuff, nor would I ever. It's the cost 0.75% to invest, and it's active management, and it's heavy on these incredibly risky bets. But wow, when you read her research about the future that is to come, if these investment theses work out, it's a Jetsons type land she's profitizing will occur. It's exciting to read about. And that excitement, I know it, can lead people to invest or stick with their investments because FOMO, that fear of missing out, is incredibly strong. 
for all of us in investing. However, since inception, ARK investors have lost nearly 27% in dollar-weighted returns, meaning on average, every dollar invested in the fund is now worth 73 cents. Investors who bought at the peak are down more than 74%. Huh. Well, that's terrible, right? What, what this data tracks is actually how, how are the actual people putting money in doing? How are those investors actually doing? Not well. Not well, Bob. Things aren't going well. And so just be mindful that some of the greatest, most exciting investing literature you can read what's behind it is actually not a great investment. And that's a lesson we probably can't tell ourselves enough because with this ARK Investing, I'll tell you, super interesting, really engaging, great marketers, and uh, there's not a whole lot of substance there from a return perspective. That can be confusing. I think there's a plenty of substance behind uh, predicting the future and optimism about the future and how technology is going to enhance our lives, all that good, 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 good. Allocating capital to these ideas is not, in, not to your advantage, investor. She violates a couple rules, and that's enough to not invest with her. And then in closing, this is just a reminder about how hard investing is, picking countries. This is year-to-date returns, uh, data as of February 28th. So map I'm looking at, a bunch of different countries, year-to-date returns. Did you know Italy is up 13.78% year-to-date? Italy. You probably think of Italy as just a wasteland for investors. Whereas, let's see, India. You might think India is a great place. It's down 7.42%. Didn't have that on my bingo card for how countries would do going forward. India is seen as this incredible investing opportunity, developing markets, whereas Italy is this ho-hum, quasi-socialist, pension fund-laden country without innovation. And yet, here we go. It's up a ton. France up 11.12%, Spain up 14.19%, and Brazil down 2.91%. Huh. Australia up 3.42%. Uh, United States, United States up 3.95%. Mexico, this is, this is the big one, up 16.79%. The lesson here, investor, is that you and I, the, the markets are dynamic. And it's pri- and a lot of the trouble that you, you and I might associate with a country is priced into the market. I can think of all sorts of problems with investing in Mexico. Year to date, it's up 16.79%. Who knows what that portends long-term, 10, 20 years out. But what it tells me is that investors have been surprised to the upside on how well things are going in Mexico. The future earnings prospects of the country, better than they anticipated. Because that's a pretty big move year to date. Hadn't been that far in the year. So with humility, we need to be willing to say, you know, I don't know which country's going to do best this year. I'm not going to play the whack-a-mole country game. I'm going to own it all. And so it is my conviction that the best idea for an investor is to construct a portfolio of permanence, one that they can stick with, irrespective of what the news cycle is telling you. And to me, that is a market capitalization-weighted index fund strategy that includes the entire globe. Because it's going to be tough when you read, oh, Mexico's up you know, 16.79%, and over here in China, I'm up 0.18%, or U.S., I'm up 3.95%. Maybe I need to rotate in and out. No, don't do it. You can just own a great exchange-traded fund. Is uh, ticker symbol VT, Vanguard's total globe stock market. One click does it all. 
So be willing to keep it simple. As always, keep those costs low. Keep that time horizon long. Keep that investing simple. That's what's going to give you the best shot. Investing great.